Let's Go Green, sponsored by Airgrid, managing and operating Ireland's electricity grid for a cleaner energy future. Check out airgrid.ie for more. Hello, and you are very welcome to this week's episode of Let's Go Green here on Midlands 103. I'm your host, Ashling O'Rourke, and I hope you are safe and well as you tune into our episode this week. A little bit later on, we're going to be checking back in with Brendan from the factory in Burr. You might remember we spoke to Brendan, oh God, maybe about 12 months ago now. And he told us how he made the factory, the print and design company just outside of Five Valley, outside of Burr and County Offaly, into a sustainable, uh, non-reliant on the electricity grid business with they have their own wind turbine and everything and we're going to be talking about how he managed to turn his vintage tractor electric a little bit later on and um, plus more work that he's involved in but first things first we're moving across the water to the eu to, to, to brussels and strasbourg and where all our meps sit and there is work underway to prevent greenwashing by the european union and We have discussed greenwashing before, but I thought it was something that now that there's a bit of momentum behind doing something about, it was worth delving into the conversation a little bit deeper. And to do that, we are joined by Claire O'Connor of Friends of the Environment. Claire, welcome back to Let's Go Green. Great to be back, Ashley. Thanks for having me. Claire, like you and I, and we were saying this a few minutes ago, like you and I know what greenwashing is because it's part of the job. You know, we, we're, we're familiar with it. But but for listeners who haven't looked into it as of yet, in a nutshell, what is greenwashing? Yeah, it is. It's a funny word, isn't it? Greenwashing. It's like, what, what does that even mean, really? And yeah, as you said, I would be familiar with it and working in Friends of the Earth. And we've been campaigning on things like waste reduction and climate change and environmental issues for a very long time. So I'm quite familiar with it. But I guess to to explain it is it's when companies make claims around how environmentally friendly their products are that aren't necessarily true. And at the moment, companies can kind of say anything they like about their products in terms of how sustainable they are, that they're climate neutral. I'm saying that (laughs) with um, inverted commas in there because... um, and at the a lot of the time these claims are quite unsubstantiated. So and there's no way of really testing them to make sure if they're true or not, really. Um and let's be honest about it. Like if we go to the supermarket and we're doing the, the groceries, like just even just to take something that we all do every week, um, we don't have the time. We are busy with our own lives. We're we, we see, oh great, that's an eco-friendly uh washing up liquid. I'll buy that one instead of the usual one. And we, there is an element of trust there. We we don't, now maybe some people do, but most of us don't have the time to start Googling, right, this brand, and are they really, have they been accused of greenwashing? You know, we, we don't really research in at that level. So there is an element there of, well, if they say it's true, we've no choice but to believe that it's true. Totally. And that that's the thing, like so many of us are trying really hard to make those more environmentally friendly choices. But as you say, we just don't have the time to go like on our computers, like do the digging, try and figure out, is this true? Is it not? Yeah. As I said, lots of claims around like this product is sustainable. But what does that even mean? You know, we do want to make more sustainable choices, but the word sustainable, like at the moment, doesn't really have a definition. So we're kind of like, what what does that actually mean when it comes down to it? Um, So I think it's really, really positive that we're seeing the EU take quite 
decisive action around regulating this, you know, so that companies can't just say this is eco-friendly, this is sustainable, and we just have to accept it blindly. So I think it's really positive that we're seeing that regulation come in from the EU. And I think the next step for Ireland will be like, obviously, we get the EU regulation that we have to transpose it into our own national law before we'll actually see any kind of impact on our our supermarket shelves. But I think it's really, really positive. And it's one more step towards empowering people like us going into the supermarket Mm -hmm. to make those decisions ourselves and knowing that there's legitimacy behind it, that it's that it is a legit decision that we're making when we pick the thing that is more sustainable or or eco-friendly as they're labeled, you know. And like, look, it it could be there could be a fair argument, I think, for false advertising in some cases. But you would need, you know, and we can all make a complaint. That I should say that if listeners don't know this, that any one of us is a member of Ireland, a citizen of the country, I should say, um, we can lodge a complaint with the Advertising Standards Authority of Ireland. So if if we have evidence that a company is selling themselves or their product as being eco-friendly, sustainable or environmentally friendly, let's say, and if you have been able to say, actually, that's, uh, there's no way that's true because you can say, well, actually, that's false marketing. So, so there is something there, but that's very reliant on us having the wits without about us to make a complaint. That's exactly it. And actually, when you say that, it, it reminds me of um, Senator Lynn Boylan has actually done some really interesting work on this because there's some energy companies who've been making claims that it's 100% renewable energy that they that they have. And, you know, they're using that as a, as a marketing ploy to kind of, to like I cater for people like us who would want to make those more environmentally mm-hmm. friendly decisions. Um, and actually what Senator Boyland did was she took these claims to the Advertising Standards Agency and said, no, like it's not 100% renewable energy that that, that they're giving to customers here. Um, and th- those, you know, that that was taken on board and they're, they're not able to say that anymore, you know? So it's, there, there is a mechanism there, but she had to have, she had people to re- do that research for her to, to be able to know that it's not 100% renewable energy. Um, so I think having this coming from the EU will be much more, which will be much stronger. You know, it, it really will be much stronger and they won't be able to just make claims claims like that. And it won't be on us, I guess, to, to then go and like enforce yeah. that ourselves or to, to report that ourselves, which I think is quite positive. I have to say, and look, there's more than one company doing it, but I do... Um, Let's just say to people like strongly dislike certain ads that say, oh, yeah, it's windy out. Let's turn the dishwasher on right now. Like Just because it's windy outside your door does not mean it is at the wind turbine farm where this electricity is being generated. Like it's not exactly how it works, people. But um, let's not be too pedantic. But OK, so bring listeners up to date, Claire. Um, what is it that the EU is doing at the moment around greenwashing? Yeah, so this new directive, um, it will basically prevent practices such as labeling things as environmentally friendly or natural or biodegradable. It will ban those those phrases basically unless there's evidence underpinning them. Um, and it's really aimed at fostering kind of transparency for consumers and accountability for the companies and the manufacturers who are actually making these products in the first place. So it's really a kind of a pivotal step, I think, for us in building that trust in this whole, I guess, green transition that is about to happen, you know, um, So it will be now on our government to quite quickly transpose that directive, as I said, into our national law to bring our own advertising codes 
up to align with this piece of EU EU regulation and that we then enforce that as well because you know it's one thing for to have that directive but it's going to be really important that our government now puts the resources into actually implementing this and yeah. enforcing it and making sure that it does trickle down to our supermarkets like day to day and that, that that companies are are held accountable if they do then go ahead and make these kind of greenwashing claims you know and at as things stand, are these EU regulations now in place or is it that they're working on them? So it's been agreed by the Parliament, um, which means it's pretty much good to go. And then, yeah, the Irish government now has to come in and, and actually transpose that into our national law. Now, that can take time, you know, yeah. sometimes it can take time. If it's not high up in the government agenda, that can take, it could take a year or more potentially. But if if there is like energy and, and if people like us, I guess, put pressure on it and continue to talk, about it uh, and I make sure that the government know this is really important and it needs to be transposed as quickly as possible so that we can see the impact and we're not kind of I guess the ones who are the victims of the kind of the false advertising that's happening at the moment you know and and ultimately mm-hmm. it will lead to more sustainable products you know like if, if you have things like um, claims that things are recyclable when they're not really recyclable but now there's accountability there and you can't just say that it's actually going to force manufacturers to make things that are recyclable and are and can kind of exist in this like circular economy where things we don't just like create use and waste we create and we we keep things in the economy and we keep moving them and we keep repairing them as well as well as recycling you know that we're not just kind of constantly yeah creating using wasting it's it's recipe for disaster (laughs) and like at the end of the day, the consumer movement is there, like more and more and more people around the world want a sustainable slash environmentally friendly option when we go out to, to spend our hard earned money. And we are getting like we are in a cost of living crisis, not just here in Ireland, but across the continent. And, you know, we are having to make and I've like I was conversation with colleagues the other day about, you know, look, going to have to really look at such and such and such and such, cutting it out of my, my budget for February because, you know, the cash just ain't there. Um, so if we're going to make choices, we want to know that we're not being fooled. Like, like, you know, like, like I am the person who like I'm a dog owner and, you know, the downside of being a dog owner means I have to collect her poo, which is unpleasant. And I've had a conversation around this in the show before. Um, and don't worry, I'm not going to turn this episode of the show into a, how many times can Ash can say dog poo on radio drinking game. Um, but like, you know, I will if I when I if when I'm in need of the new the, the, the bags that the stuff goes into um. I will pick the biodegradable option or I will pick the the eco-friendly option because I don't like having to buy them in the first place. I kind of see it as a waste of plastic, but it is what it is and I have to do it. But I'm always suspicious of whether or not it really is biodegradable or it really is eco-friendly. So at least now I'll I'll know, well, do you know what? If if it's a euro more expensive, I still, I, I actually am doing the right thing. I'm not being ripped off. Totally. Do you know what? And I actually find that as well, that because I work in the environmental sector, everyone's like, and is this like, do you know, they're put, like holding up their dog food bags and they're like, and is it really biodegradable? And I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> because there isn't currently that that like process in place for actually being able to say, yes, it is or or no, it isn't. Um, I, I was actually reading there and three three quarters of um products on the EU market carry some kind of environmental claim on them but seemingly half of them at the moment can't be verified in any way you know so it's wow there's there's no way at the moment of actually verifying those types of claims so I think this will go actually quite far in in 
in hopefully, you know, helping us make those those decisions as well. And, and another interesting thing that's coming up with, through this regulation is they have to now put a label on certain products and tell you to what level they can be repaired. You know, so how, how how repairable are they? Which I think is quite interesting. You know, if you're buying like a big appliance, like a dishwasher or something like that, and you, I guess you want to buy something that you can kind of keep for a long time, and that you know, if it breaks, you don't have to just throw it out because you can't fix it, you can't find the part, etc. I think now now with these new regulations, we're actually going to say like this is repairable, this is how you repair it, and I think that's really positive. The only thing was when I think when they were trying to actually, you know, debate this piece of legislation. Um, some activists really wanted to have something around forcing companies to make products that are repairable, you yeah. know, uh, you know, kind of forcing that. So that is one weakness in this piece of, piece of legislation that it's not forcing companies to create like new appliances and stuff that are repairable and durable and will last you a very long time. So I think if we, if we could go, if we could go one step further when we're transposing mm-hmm. it into Irish legislation, it will be to put obligations on companies to have things that are repairable. At the moment, we're going to have the labels which show that it's repairable, which I guess is a positive thing, you know, when you're making that decision yourself. But in terms of like forcing things to like, yes, stay in the system and that we're not just like getting things, they break, we throw them out because we don't know how to fix them. It's that we kind of keep things for as long as we can, you know? And Claire, just like on that point, I know it was floated as part of that work that we would get the right to repair items that we buy. Has that gotten in there? Because that would be important. And like I know, like I was only having a conversation with somebody recently and I was saying, you know, I really do love my hybrid. And, you know, I've driven diesel plenty of times and I just don't think the diesel that I've driven has the same power as the hybrid that I have, you know, just, you know trying to convince, cajole them into switching over to considering electric car or whatever, just a nice friendly banter. And the, the reply back was, to be perfectly honest, until I have the right to repair, I'm not buying an electric car. Which yeah, I- I've actually heard that quite a lot as well. Yeah. And it, you know, it's really fair. It's a really fair concern, I think, that people have, you know, that if you invest so much money in something, you want to have it for a long time. And you, if something goes wrong, you really you want to be able to, to fix it. And unfortunately, that's not included in this piece of legislation. But I think there's a lot of scope for us as a country to actually be a lot more proactive in introducing that right to repair. And it, it's an interesting framing, the right to repair. It's like if I invest a lot of money in something, I have a right for this to kind of to, to keep it working for as long as possible. Like it's in your own interest, but it's also in the interest of the environment as well, really, you know, um, to that, that you're not throwing it out. The cars aren't going to the, the scrapyard. And like even, OK, cars are, are like, you know, they're a big investment, but even on the smaller side of things, like your mobile phone, like how many times have you been told, oh, yeah, but did you try to fix it yourself? Oh, your warranty is null and void now because you tried to fix it or, or you brought it to a non-authorized shop. You know, and we all know the shops I'm talking about who are really good at what they do. But like at the moment, companies can claim that you avoided your warranty because you've brought it to somebody they haven't approved of. You know, we don't have that right enshrined into law. And it would be, I think, a positive step forward. And it is disappointing to to, to hear that that piece has stalled. If we go back to, to greenwashing, like you mentioned, the elections coming up in May slash June, we've got the local county council, city um, council elections here. We've got the European elections. We also have the potential this year or within the next 12 months anyway, and um, because we're basically, you know, <laughs> I don't want to say we're in February, but we kind of are in February. Let's be honest about it this week. Um 
you know, we have to have an election now, like by February 2025. And as you and I both know, it takes a long time for legislation to make its way through, you know, committee stages and both houses of the Oireachtas. And we, even with the best will in the world, like a lot of really important legislation has taken what feels like to those of us on the outside an age to get through the houses of the Oireachtas. So how likely do you think it is, Claire, that we'll have that greenwashing legislation in and regulations and updates to the AI um, before we go to the polls. Mm, that's a great question. I can't. I honestly, I can't answer in terms of how likely it actually is. Like, if if I'm trying to think, will the government see that as a priority between now and when they finish? I think it's something that they could do quite easily. You know, it's not a really, really big, complicated, super complicated one. Um, and because it is ultimately re- with regard to like product labeling, etc. Um. Yeah, it, it would be great, you know, because I know um, there has been some really good work done in this government around like a circular economy and trying to to keep products like in circulation and, and prevent waste. It would be a really positive thing for this government to get over the over the line before they finish, you know, as a as, as a success, I guess, you know. But uh, if they don't, I think, you know, when 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 people come knocking on our doors, it is something that that's worth saying, like this idea of this right to repair and, and, and that we have that Um but yeah, it's going to be it's going to be an interesting year, I think. And in terms of Friends of the Air, what we're really pushing for is to make is, is to make climate action and this big transition as easy as possible for all of us, you know, and as accessible for everyone. That it's not just this kind of thing that's for people who've done all the research and or who have all the money to, to throw at this kind of thing. You know, one of the areas we're looking at as well is retrofitting and, and renewable heat Um and, you know, we're kind of seeing this energy crisis at the moment, the cost of living, like everyone's energy bills are through the roof at the moment. Yeah. And in a really positive way, we could see climate action happen or we could see, see it benefit us is through retrofitting, through insulating our homes and, and moving into more renewable forms of electricity and renewable heat as well. Uh, and I think we need to really push that in this coming election but at a local level, uh, at an EU level and then at the general election, I don't know when it's going to be. I'm going to guess yeah. before the end of this year. Yeah, but like yeah. it is worth saying that, like you know, when we have candidates you coming to the front door this spring and summer, which we know we're going to have, mm-hmm. that the questions, the more people who ask about the environment or you know green issues, let's say, um, the likelihood is that those questions are going to get fed back into the political parties' head offices because you know they'll want their candidates to have a good answer. And by by asking the question, we might not see the result immediately, but it will feed back those ideas and the idea that we as consumers, we as citizens, are interested in this, and now we want you to do something about it. So the, the the voice of us as individual citizens at the in this year, this an election referendum year, you know, is really quite powerful. And I think sometimes we don't take that seriously enough. Yeah, yeah, I hear you. I hear you. Um, I think it is. It's always fed back. Anything that's said in the doors is always fed back into the political parties, and the, then that ends up coming up in the program for government when the government are deciding like what's our what's on our agenda for the next five years, you know. And I I think that is really important and. Even if you're not into like all the, the the climate stuff on a very like big level, 
things like the right to repair and like having products that last longer and having having warmer homes and lower energy bills like those things are really important and they are kind of the the byproducts of really strong climate and environmental policy even even though it's kind of sometimes hard to make that link but i think making that link to to policymakers and to candidates who come who come knocking on your door is is really important as well yeah well, Claire O'Connor of Friends of the Earth, thank you so much for joining us on Let's Go Green this week. I'm sure we'll be talking to you again and it will be interesting. And perhaps if listeners are interested in, we will tease out the idea of, you know, how should we quiz politicians when they come to our doors this spring and summer? What way should we approach asking and encouraging them to consider more environmental issues while they're on the canvas? I mean, if they arrive on the doorstep and they want us to talk to them, we might as well talk about something we care about. Claire, thank you so much for your time. Thanks, Ashley. We'll be back after these. Let's Go Green, sponsored by Airgrid, managing and operating Ireland's electricity grid for a cleaner energy future. Check out airgrid.ie for more. You're listening to Let's Go Green here on Midlands 103. Well, have you ever heard of an electric vintage tractor? Well, our next guest not only has one of those, but has turned his entire company um, environmentally and eco-friendly. And we're joined now by Brendan from the factory. Uh, Brendan, you, of course, are very, very involved in the whole environmental sector and the circular economy. And I know you spoke to us about your business before, but for people who didn't, um, who aren't familiar with the factory, what is it that you do? Okay, so we're a small family business here near the village of Five Valley between Borough and Kilcormack. And uh, we're a print, design, branding, sign making type of business. Uh, we have been on a sustainability journey, I suppose you could call it, for many years. Um, we began publishing um, a journal on sustainable living back in the early, uh, I think, 2004 or thereabouts. The business itself is here since 2000. And... Um, but it was really only when my uh, eldest daughter, Lisa, joined the company back in 2018 that we really uh, taught seriously about how we could practically pursue sustainability pretty much in every way we could think of. So up to that point, we had a kind of a wish list, but we were pretty slow at ticking things off. And um, I remember several meetings here. Uh, we, we went through a list of what we could do to become a truly sustainable business. And that was quite a long list from um, generating our own electricity, for example, to managing our land better for biodiversity. We were already using eco inks and we had eliminated plastic free packaging and some of the obvious smaller things. Mm. But then we felt there was much more we could could do. And uh, it was when Lisa joined the company that we really tackled some of the bigger um, challenges, I suppose. I suppose it's... It's funny when you start off to make one or two small changes, then you see the opportunity to do things a little bit bigger, isn't it? Yeah, ab- absolutely. Yeah. So uh, we we, dis- we were thinking about a wind turbine for quite a few years. And then, of course, solar came along in the meantime and the efficiency of solar panels increased. So then we decided, let's get a combination of solar and wind. And what would this cost? So we, we went to our bank with a plan and they said, well, this is quite a bit. I'm not sure the, the, the business justifies it. So they directed us on to um, SBCI, the Sustainable what is it, Banking Corporation of Ireland, set up there after, after the downturn. Mm. And uh, thankfully, within a day, they, they agreed to it. I, I think they're, um, they lean towards helping 
out enterprises with a sustainability, a green agenda. That's kind of more easily to get. To and you, you fit the bill on that one. Now, sure. you, you are involved in a new initiative, Circulera, a, a play on era and a circular and circular economy. We're all... Um, we're all getting used to that term, I think it's fair to say. And like you mentioned, your business is in the print and sign making. So like I and, you know, I I, I had you guys print my business cards. I, I you know, I'm familiar with the work that you do, but it's not um, like if I got a sign for my business, I would think that I hire you guys, you design it, you you make it up and that's it. You know, it has this use for perhaps the, the front of the shop or maybe an event and at some point it gathers dust and it gets disposed of. But yeah. you're looking at renting signage. Is that right? Yeah. By the way, thanks for the business. <laughs> but, but just but, to yeah. be transparent with the listeners. And <laughs> I, I did pay Prendon for his services. And yeah. No, but, um, yeah. But like, I, 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 I'm, I, I don't quite get it. What, how can you be like, this is, and this is the thing, I suppose for lots of businesses, it's like, yeah, I understand. I want to do the right thing by the environment, but I don't see how we can do it in our particular business. But how can you make a sign and a printing company circular? Yeah, that's something we had been thinking about for a while, and it's probably the weakest part of our business, sign making, because it involves so much plastics. We print the image onto a sheet of plastic. We apply that to another uh, cardboard or foamix or other plastic sheet. And then if, if we want that to last long term, we put another sheet of um, laminate plastic over that again. So a lot of plastics and a lot of waste mm. in the process. So we have been thinking about how we could get around this. So um, I think it was Coleman, uh, Lisa, and some of the guys here. Uh, by the way, I should say we have a super fantastic team of 10. Lisa is is really the boss who comes up with the great ideas. Of course, I tried to take the credit for them, but she's really the brains behind what we, we're doing here. Isn't that a father's job to take credit <laughs> for their children's success? But uh, maybe that's another conversation. <laughs> <laughs> perhaps, perhaps. But... Um, so, so the first plan was, and we, we actually are still doing this, that we would make a frame. So, for example, uh, we print for quite a few events. So we would supply maybe four by four foot cardboard signs. The customer would get them. They would nail them or screw them to posts or whatever. Sometimes they would bring them back, but it would be in a battered state, very difficult to do anything with them. So um, we make some wooden signs. So Coleman designed wooden frames. So for events, you could actually rent the frame. We'd fit the sign into the frame so the customer didn't need to touch the actual sign itself and they could just erect the frame and then bring them back afterwards. So they'd rent the frame from us and the sign and all could be brought back so we could slide out the sign and recover it as it would be perfectly uh, intact. But of course, oh, okay. as, as, as our thinking evolved and we became part I should say this circular initiative, we pitched for that. I think we were the smallest company to get onto it. And it was because of this circular signage model we were trying to develop. Uh, there are, um, I think, eight or 10 companies. I think this is the, is this the third year. I'm not sure. But uh, some of the thinking there um, really helped us advance uh, what we want to do and where we see our, our kind of sign business uh, evolve. So now we are thinking that we will eliminate plastics completely if possible, and we will use uh, largely wood, but not exclusively some aluminium, but material that can be easily recycled and reused. So, so we see, um, so for the future, 
this is how we see the, the, uh, the business evolve. If a customer would like a sign, they can either buy or rent a sign, but that sign will always uh, be connected with us. And we see this is the only way that a circular um, economy can really develop. So even if it's five years, 10 years, 15 years, if the customer wants to bring that back to us, it, regardless of the condition, obviously we will uh, allow the, uh, if the, Sign is in good, good condition. We can buy that back from the customer. Obviously, we need to make a margin. You can imagine, yeah. you understand how business uh, works. How business works, obviously, yeah. But we will always be connected with that sign and uh, the customer can always bring it back. And if it can be reused or repurposed, then that's what we will do. And obviously, uh, wood uh, is an ideal material in this context. But anyway, that's broadly uh, okay. Okay, uh, our well, vision of where our sign business uh, is heading. Well, it's absolutely fascinating and it's not it's not something I've ever heard of before. Um, so it's it's really interesting to, to, to see that, like even a company like yours, which is so reliant on plastics for making um, the signs durable, you know, like and any sign maker is in that. Like we have like we we had what did we have we had Storm Jocelyn and Storm Isha in the last week you know we need these items to be able to stand up to the kind of weather that we experience and so it's um and I can see where you're coming from that traditionally they do you know get battered and bruised and all of that so it's, it's really interesting to to see the the product evolve um but and I know we're sh- we're short on time, but I did mention at the start of all this, you have a, a curious item as part of the factory team because you've a bit of land around the the actual factory and um, outside of Five Valley, um, which needs to be taken care of, and you have managed to turn a vintage tractor into an electric tractor. How did you go about doing that, Brendan? Well, that, that was uh, largely uh, an experiment and it is a prototype, but it is actually working now. So we had seen, so, so I should say first, the tractor is a David Brown 780. So it's a, it's an old tractor, 50 plus years old. I'm not exactly sure what, what uh, age it is, but it's more than 50 years old. But uh, it was the only fossil fuel burning item we had here. And of course, we have solar and we have wind. So we generate quite a bit of electricity. And during the mm-hmm. summer, we send it back out to the grid for a small price. And that tractor, we don't use it very much, but we do uh, use it occasionally to top the grass. We have about five acres here. We manage for biodiversity. And um, so some of the videos we had seen on others converting their tractor, they would remove the engine completely and put in a motor. But then there's issues with the power takeoff. Uh, if you ch- stop to change gears, the implement uh, stops spinning if it needs a uh, power takeoff. So anyway, we... Um, we fitted a motor to the front of the engine. We kept the engine block, removed the pistons and everything else. So there's just the bare bones of an engine with a motor on the front. And instead of starting the engine, we start the motor. That's basically how it works. Fantastic. So it's so even the, you know that, that old phrase, you can't teach an old dog new tricks. We can teach an old tractor a new trick. Absolutely. Um, yeah. <laughs> no, I think it would be really useful, you know, um, like there is a 60% solar grant. I think that's uh, the case at the moment for, mm-hmm. for the farming community. So if, for example, you needed to, to use a tractor around farm buildings where maybe you didn't want emissions or too much noise, uh, I think uh, this is a really good idea. I think it makes financial sense and practical sense, perhaps. And uh, we're willing to share, you know, what we have learned here. And if anyone would like to come and see it, they're welcome to do so. 
Well, Brendan Dooley of The Factory in Burr, there was so much more that we wanted to discuss, but we've, we've run out of time. And I do know that you wanted to give a mention to Craftlink and the new exhibition that's in the, the Esker Arts Centre in Tullamore because you're, you guys have been very much involved in that. And I do I do want to discuss that properly on the show, hopefully next week. But but quickly, Brendan, what exactly is it all about? So, so as, as part of our mission, uh, part of our mission is to share what we learn and we have an educational aspect to the business where we run short sustainability courses and as part of that we were looking to um, Offaly Local Development Company asked us to provide um, a sustainability aspect to uh, a create green initiative led by Offaly Local Development Company and Westmead Local Development Company and that was for craft businesses and uh, an exhibition uh, for those, for seven of those businesses, is now taking place as part of a murmuration event in Esker Arts Centre. That's near the square there in Tullamore. Some people probably know of it on the way down the hill. I think Kilrise used to be based there, but the in, old, that, yeah. in that centre there, and I think really worth checking out because those, I think, are businesses of the future who are working who are working on sustain sustainability business models, and um, they have some beautiful product. And I should mention Jane Mulch, Button Studio, Helen Keneally, Celtic Roots, Helen Bracken, Fox Covered Farm, Teresa Dial, Bespoke Dolls, Kevin Dooley of Dooley's Wool, and there's also Claire Gangan and Rosemary Lantry. But really worth checking out if your uh, listeners have time. Well, Brendan Dooley of The Factory um, and The Factory itself is, is worth checking out in fairness to Brendan and Lisa and the team outside Five Valley there in Burr. And we will, we, we talk properly about the Craftlink exhibition hopefully next week. But in the meantime, that exhibition runs at the brand new Esker Art Centre at the old Kilroy's shop on High Street in Tullamore. And the exhibition uh, Craftlink and Mermations runs until March 2nd. But Brendan, thanks very much for keeping us posted here on Let's Go Green and all the work that you're doing. Many thanks, many thanks, Ashling, and likewise. We'll be back after the break. Let's Go Green, sponsored by Airgrid, managing and operating Ireland's electricity grid for a cleaner energy future. Check out airgrid.ie for more. You're listening to Let's Go Green here on Midlands 103. And I hope you've been enjoying our show so far this week. We're joined by... John Gibbons. John has been a guest on Let's Go Green a couple of times now at this stage. John, you're you're very welcome back. Thank you very much, Ashling. You are, of course, well known for your environmental campaigning and writings, John. And the reason I wanted to get you back on was because of a government announcement last week around biodiversity and this idea that we're going to have more national parks as part of this plan. So so take me through, in a nutshell, what has the government announced? Okay, well, I want to start, if I may, briefly by just pointing out that um, many people in Ireland have an impression, maybe it's a Bortfolgia hangover, we have an impression that we're a, a very green and very, very uh, kind of rich and biodiverse island. In mm-hmm. fact, uh, this is very far, that impression is extremely misleading. Uh, the evidence would suggest we're one of the most biodiversity degraded countries, certainly in Europe. And bear in mind that Europe itself uh, has had a, has lost much of its biodiversity. So I think we're starting, let's just say, from a, from a low base. I think that's okay. really important to say. Uh, now, having said that, this this latest uh, biodiversity plan from the government 
uh, is good news because, as you said, one of the, one of the measures that they're looking at is to expand our national parks. I think as well as expanding them, we also have to protect them. I think people who visit, for example, the likes of the Killarney National Park, especially if they're ecologically uh, aware, will be aware that what they're looking at is in fact heavily degraded. Uh, And we have, for example, our national parks are overgrazed by a combination of deer, uh, sheep, and in some cases, uh, feral goats as well. So they're highly degraded as it stands. So it's a strange idea that a national park basically has such little protection. But I think Mm -hmm. a lot of this comes back, at least in my view, it comes back to the fact that Basically, biodiversity has been the poor relation. It's been the Cinderella, really, of uh, Irish sort of policy and Irish public life for the last uh, 10 or 15 years. Even just take the road that I live on, like on a very basic level, we can see the evidence of the, the degradation in the services to protect the environment. Like litter is a huge problem where I live. Um, the road is just simply not maintained. I'm constantly having to report issues to my local council. That's one road and one locality. And then if you look at the, the National Parks Service and what it is that we would like them to be able to do, it really is falling short. So this new plan, you know, it's been welcomed, but are we likely to see or can we expect to see as a result of this plan an improvement in how our biodiversity is managed in this country? I believe so. I think like so many things in Ireland, it's really about politics and political focus. There has been no political energy behind biodiversity protection for years. In fact, mm. the political energy was behind uh, some of the people and some of the lobbies that were actually involved in environmental degradation. That's just a simple fact. They were the ones who had the ears of ministers. They were the ones who were getting the big budgets while while parks and wildlife were basically left aside. So that has turned around really since 2020. It's pretty clear that the current government, uh, across the board, to be fair, has a a genuine focus on, on, um, you know, restoring that balance. And and this isn't just a a Green Party issue. I think, for example, Tawnish Demihal Martin, uh, you know, on behalf of Fianna Fáil, has really stood up and backed this this initiative as well. And I think that's incredibly important because sometimes uh, people are inclined to go, oh, that's just the Greens again. Yeah, Uh, they're they're off again with another plan. And yeah, yeah, it does have government backing. This is not one of the great parties. And I give I'll give Eamon Ryan some credit for this, that, you know, he has brought his brought his government colleagues with him on this. And of course, uh, Malcolm Noonan as well as the, the minister responsible. I think he's been incredibly effective and I think he's been out. He's been meeting stakeholders. He's been meeting farmers. He's been meeting uh, landowners to get buy in and to explain why this matters, because biodiversity protection matters incredibly. If I mean, essentially, we're all dependent on a, on a functioning, healthy ecosystems for pretty much everything, for, for our clean water, for the quality of air and so on, and also to protect our, our, our rivers and our waterways from pollution. So these, these are the, the so-called environmental services that nature provides to us for free, mm-hmm. as long as we don't mess them up. Now, if we damage and degrade nature, as we've done, say, water pollution levels, for example, have risen sharply again over the last number of years, and we know why. Uh, and the, again, part of the purpose of fund, properly funding biodiversity protection is to be able, for example, to monitor this and to challenge it and to push back and say, no, you don't. Because at the moment, uh, a lot of the costs of biodiversity 
degradation. They're not born by the people doing the damage. They're actually born by the rest of us. And of course, they're born by, by nature itself. The natural world is degraded. Nature is, is on the back foot. And I think many people in Ireland believe, and rightly so, that we're proud of our, of our island. We're proud of our, of our natural heritage and, and the fact that, that it is uniquely Irish. We're proud of the green in every sense of the word. Yet, we just have this blind spot on when it comes to saying, well, okay, are you actually prepared to protect it? I mean, obvious examples come to mind, certainly, and, you know, you take things like the facts that Ireland is one of almost the only countries in the world that still allow hair coursing, right? The, the, mm-hmm. the, the, it is legalized. Almost every other civilized country has said, no, this is basically torturing and tormenting so-called protected wild animals. This isn't fun. This isn't sport. This isn't healthy. In fact, it says a lot, I'm sorry to say, about a rather dysfunctional relationship that many people have with our environment and with nature, that we th- we see nature, unless we can make money out of it, we see nature as basically something uh, either to amuse us or to be shot at or chased or, or, or tormented in some way. And I think that's a shame. So I think what we're seeing with the, the Biodiversity Action Plan is first of all, putting money into it. And that's so important because, for example, we have almost no wildlife crime unit in Ireland. So people who are engaged in crimes against wildlife in this country are getting away with it. They're getting away with it because of the lack of a, of a funded wildlife rangers, like with, with powers of enforcement and attachment. And as you know, wildlife crime by its very nature is very difficult to detect because it happens in remote locations, mm. right? But... People at the moment, and we see it, for example, and we'll see it soon enough uh, when when illegal burning on the hill starts up again. These are crimes against nature, crimes against wildlife. But it's very difficult to break the cycle, uh, the secrecy involved, the fact that people think that it's some kind of tradition to do this type of thing. And and breaking those cycles and and putting nature at the centre, that's really, I think, what uh, Minister Noonan is trying to do here. And I would stress, Ashling, many people say, ah, this, this is just a minority thing. We had a Citizens' Assembly recently that looked at the issue of biodiversity and its conclusions as taking a representative sample of 100 members of the public. Irish people really do genuinely care about their own natural heritage and biodiversity protection and are prepared to see it protected and want it to be protected. So if you're hearing people saying, oh, the hell with that, that's just a green issue. That is not, that is a misrepresentation. In fact, it is a mainstream issue. But unfortunately, a lot of the voices, especially a lot of the voices get on the radio are the voices of people who are making money, whether it's, you know, destroying bogs or engaging in other practices that are either in some cases legal, in some cases not, but in 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 all cases that are damaging our, our critical biodiversity. And I think, I would like to think that this is a step on the road to redressing that balance, okay. to, to basically saying, yes, we care about this. Yes, we're prepared to put money into it. The Citizens' Assembly, which is the voice of the public, is saying, we want to do this. We want to leave the Ireland in as good a condition as we found it, or maybe better for the next generation. And with climate change coming down the tracks fast, biggest threat to Ireland as climate change uh, intensifies is flooding. How do we best uh, abate flooding? Some people say you dredge the rivers and all the rest. That's simply not the case. It doesn't work. The best way to abate flooding is to invest in nature-based solutions. So, for example, to allow rivers to access to their own floodplains and Mm -hmm. also to protect the uplands so that water isn't washing uh, drastically off the uplands. So degraded uplands are a flooding risk for us at, at lower levels. So you might think what's happening in the hills 
is isn't doesn't matter. It matters hugely when your town, when your village, when your homeland is being flooded. All these dots need to be joined up. And the great thing about biodiversity protection is that it requires, if you like, to to think of the the biosphere and the ecosystems that we that we exist within as total systems and their health and their well-being reflects and and helps us again in our lives but sometimes in ways that are not that obvious uh, but the the one thing i would say is countries that have highly degraded ecosystems they're the countries that suffer most from droughts from extreme flooding events and so on we don't want to be that country we need no. to come back from the damage that's been done. And hopefully this biodiversity plan uh, puts down a strong marker, not just for this government, Ashling, but also for future governments, that this is what the Irish public want. We're prepared to back it. We're prepared to put money into it because we actually care about this stuff. Well, John, I'm I'm sorry, but we are out of time. But like they do say at this time of year, it's very popular. You are what you eat. And, you know, we're only as healthy as the land that we live on. So we do. We need to. And you're right in saying the mood has has changed and and we're becoming more and more invested in doing the right thing by this island that we call home. Well, John Gibbons, environmentalist, journalist, educator. Thank you very much for joining us on this week's episode. Let's go. Green. Thank you, Ashley. All the best. We'll be back after the break. Let's Go Green, sponsored by Airgrid, managing and operating Ireland's electricity grid for a cleaner energy future. Check out airgrid.ie for more. You're listening to Let's Go Green here on Midlands 103. Well, I don't know if uh, you were watching this over the weekend, but something that happened that did pique my interest was this protest at the Louvre in France where... Environmental protesters threw soup at the Mona Lisa. Now, the Mona Lisa is possibly, I stand to be corrected on this, but it is possibly one of the most famous paintings in the world. It's one that I think most of us have heard of at one point or another. I've never had the opportunity to see it in real life um, myself. And I should say that the painting itself wasn't damaged. It's behind protective glass because in the world that we live in now, we now need to put paintings behind glass. And that's a whole other conversation. But... These protesters were looking for a right to healthy and sustainable food. It was two female protesters wearing T-shirts that read food counterattack. And they stood in front of the painting and threw soup. OK, again, didn't do any damage to the painting. It was, um, you know, an act of protest. And we're lucky we live in countries where we have the right to protest and to do so peacefully without harming anybody else. But it's becoming a more common way of expressing environmental issues around the world. And while it does become headline news for a couple of hours and perhaps goes viral on social media, I have to wonder, does it really serve any purpose? You know, just shouting in in a gallery um, does it, does it, is it going to do anything? Like, I suppose I, I like to think of protest as a way to impact change. And I'm not sure that throwing food at any painting is going to achieve that. Now, um, I'd be very interested in hearing what you think about it. Um, and as I said, I've said like three times already, the painting was not harm. Mona Lisa is safe. Um, but I'm really interested in this idea of uh, this very viral 
protest trend. And I'd love to hear if you have any thoughts on the matter. So please do. If you're interested in that, if you have something you want to say, if you think I'm wrong and you want to debate it with me on air, feel free. Go over to midlands103.com, click on the on air team, find my name, Ashling O'Rourke, and send me a message directly from that page. I do read all of those messages. And of course, if there's an item you would like to suggest for the show, please do feel free to get in contact with me through midlands103.com. The button is the on-air team and then you're looking for my name, Ashling O'Rourke, and that'll give you an option to send me an email directly. You can also, of course, send me a message directly on Instagram. I am at thecommunicationscoach.ie. Well, I'm afraid that's all we have time for on this week's episode of Let's Go Green. I hope you have a great week. We won't be back at the same time next week because we have a bank holiday for Bridget's Day. I'm looking forward to the Bridget's Festival in Dublin. I'm going to be going to an event at the Mansion House on Thursday. So I'm really looking forward to that one. But I hope you have a lovely and happy Bridget's Day, celebrating the the Celtic goddess she was. And I'll be back in a fortnight's time on Let's Go Green. And in the meantime, you can catch up on all the episodes of Let's Go Green on midlands103.com, Spotify or indeed Apple Podcasts. Have a great week and stay safe. Thanks for listening. Let's Go Green, sponsored by Airgrid, managing and operating Ireland's electricity grid for a cleaner energy future. Check out airgrid.ie for more.